Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, Employee of the Month show is all about work. It's where we spend the majority of our time. So I wanted to hear from people who love, well, mainly love what they do. There is no perfect job and there is no perfect path, but the imperfectly perfect roots is really what I wanted to know about. And that is why I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Esther Perel, who is such a magnetic, empathic, intellectually astute and pithy and confident and funny therapist. I don't know anyone who, after hearing her, doesn't want her to be their shrink. She's done everything from work with PTSD survivors to do drama therapy, and now her focus is really on infidelity and couples. She wrote a best-selling book called Mating in Captivity, which I strongly encourage you to get, whether you're single or in a couple, whether you're LGBT or hetero. It speaks to what it means to be in love, what it means to be in a long-term relationship, whether it's marriage or not, and how we differ across cultures. It's fascinating to read, and our interview was taped live, and you'll see just how funny and thoughtful and sexy Esther is. Enjoy our conversation. How do you feel about talking about that? I do that from morning to night. I was going to ask the rest of my day. <laughs> I was going to ask you, as a sex therapist, I mean, you, you deal with that all day long. At the end of the day, do you want to do the most asexual activities? Like, are you just knitting away? <laughs> I think about the wildest fantasies I heard during the day, and I ask myself, could I do that? <laughs> Your sensuality... No, no knitting for me. (laughs) No knitting for me. Your sensuality is palpable. Were you always very comfortable in your skin? No. No, no. If I had the confidence of today with the looks of then. But when I had the looks, I was totally shaking inside. What it looked on the outside had nothing to do with how I felt on the inside. Do you know many 17, 18, 19-year-old girls who feel good about themselves? I don't know any women. Did you feel good about yourself? <laughs> no, that but, I'm, I, but that didn't happen until my 30s that I got comfortable in my own skin and love sex so much. I'm like an 11-year-old boy. And, um, you know, the confidence came. I, I feel like, you know, boys start to lose it right when women finally... Get it. Get it. Yes. Yes, because it has to do with how confident they are, how much they accept themselves, how good they feel in their home, which is their body. And it just gets better with age, contrary to what we keep being told. Speaking of confidence, um, which I think everyone in this room needs to have a lot of, because you speak nine languages and you work in seven. You've calculated that exactly. Yes. Yes, 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 I do. Is that to make up for some? What happened in your childhood that you have to be smarter than everyone else? No, first of all, I'm from Belgium, which we already speak about three or four to start. Totally. Then I we do it here, too, in the U.S. We're all really big yeah, on being yeah. aware of other cultures. Yeah. yeah. LOL. Look, I live with an American man who, after 30 years, still hasn't learned one language. So, oh, God. You know, I get it. I get it. You know. But... 
No, no. We were, my parents were refugees. We spoke five languages at home, a few more in school, a few more on the road, and a couple horizontally. It's nice. a very good way to learn a language. You should know that. Is, is that a good segue to talk about your parents being Holocaust survivors? Is that all you want to do? <laughs> I didn't know how to segue there. <laughs> they would be rolling over in their grave. Oh, no. Sex and the Holocaust, you know? <laughs> Well, I did want to ask if, if you felt in touch, I mean, it's this, if it, it must have given you a lot of empathy, I imagine, because you are incredibly empathic to have come from that. No, I think the main thing that came from that, for me anyway, is that when I had two parents who were both survivors and who just took life and wanted to live it with gusto, And that notion of how people keep themselves alive, how they breathe aliveness, vibrancy, vitality, all of that, that's eroticism. And that's when I began to make the connection between, you know, when you experience shit and you still... Like my dad, one of his most powerful stories is about how he fell in love in the camps, you know, and he tells me this whole story. And it's just, you understand the power of imag imagination, the power of love, the power of the erotic, and the power of making love to somebody who you will actually never touch. Did I quieten you completely? <laughs> <laughs> it is certainly beautiful and it's not the first time you've quieted me completely. Um, I, did, I also wanted to ask, you started out in um, different kinds of therapy and then moved into sex therapy. What propelled you to go into sex therapy? Clinton. <laughs> very true. I have never worked in the field of sexuality. I have primarily been a cross-cultural psychologist and a couples therapist. And I, this is the Greek version, I think. Oh, well, a lot it? of people speak Greek here, so. Yes. It is America. Some of you are maybe too young. But in any case, there have been many other politicians since then. But the Clinton thing was very interesting because It was really like, why is America so tolerant about divorce and multiple divorces and so intransigent about infidelity? The rest of the world that is more family-oriented, in fact, has always opted the other way around. You keep the family together and the adults deal with their messes on their own. And so I wrote this article that was from the perspective of a foreign therapist observing American sexuality, because there is something weird in this country, I have to say. Can you, can you talk about I mean, we're, we're it? We're, we're, we're just often described as puritanical or repressed by the rest of the world. And what is it specifically about us that, that feels so repressive? No, actually, I wouldn't say it like that. Okay. I think this country goes back and forth between repressive tactics and excessive license. You can one minute have hedonism, and then the next minute it collides with puritanism. It's actually both ends. But what you do have that is more different from where I come from is that it is about performance and achievement and numbers and statistics and unvarnished directness and get to the point and don't beat around the bush and score. And that is very different from our thing, which is the make it last, be ambiguous, don't ever let it be known how, to, how much you want, let the other person wonder about how much you want, let them want you in that kind of a way, and then step back a little bit. That, that, seduction, flirting, ambiguity, 
not scoring, playing with possibility. You're getting the look. That's good. That's good. That's good. Now bite your lip a little bit more. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. Then look away. Then look away. Don't ever let a person know you're actually looking at them. You know, it's not about, did you see me? It's about, I will not let you know that I know that you're seeing me and that I know you're looking at me, that whole thing. Do you, do you feel, um, I'm not a sex coach, but I think, <laughs> um, is this the same for heterosexual couples and LGBT, LGBT couples and? Q. Q, you thank you. Add another letter. Thank you. Is this the same for heterosexual couples and LGBTQ couples as well? I'm just adding another layer. Yes, we're going to call about. We don't listen. Yes, actually, the the game, the playing, the flirting. You know what flirting comes from? It comes from the French word fleuret, the tip of the sword. How many of you ever knew that? I, re I read her book. <laughs> you know, so that teasing, that playing. That engaging with the tension rather than nullifying the tension, I don't think that there is a difference from whatever orientation you're in. Come on, gay guys, did you ever see this whole thing about the look, the gaze, the thing, the cat? It's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> don't you guys agree? There are a lot of gay guys here tonight. Totally there are more gay guys here tonight than that like lukewarm applause. I would like to hear some serious love from my men. Um, do 90% of your son's friends or 99% of your son's friends consider you a MILF? Did you know that in the book A Billion Wicked Thoughts, MILF is actually the porn site that is most visited? I can't tell you the number, but it is the number one porn site. Yeah, Contrary to all of you who think that it's for the young girls. And clearly these boys have not met my mother. I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> she Good, is quite I prefer beautiful. to talk about your mother than me <laughs> than as your a own. Yes. So, um, speaking of which, why did you become a therapist? Because I felt very bad about myself, <laughs> probably. And I was interested in psychology. Um, I wanted to understand how, you know, what makes us tick. And I was a very good listener, and I was the friend that everybody came to confide. And I understand the underbelly of the beast. I have a kind of a thing, passion for understanding the wicked stuff, perverse stuff that people can do to each other, which is why I'm a couples therapist, because it's the best theater in town. It's the most useless form of therapy. It's the hardest form of therapy. And it's unbelievable what two people can do to each other. Bad and good, both. Now, you got tons of um, people writing into you because right now you're doing research on infidelity. And I wanted to ask, have you ever had two people from the same couple write into you, but they don't know that the other person yes. is writing it? Yes, actually, um, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> but it took me a moment to figure it out. Um, so one woman wrote, one, actually one woman wrote and she said, I have a story to tell you and it's a story that she experienced online. And then a few weeks later, I get the story and it is the story of a man who describes to me the experience with a woman online. And, um, and then I put one and one together and then they confirmed it. That's about as much as I can say. That's a good, no, I like that. That's enough to dream about. It's good literature. Um, speaking about dreaming, you often talk about the third person in a relationship 
Is that a literal third or that? When does open marriage work? <laughs> That's really what you wanted to know. So why don't we start with one thing, just so we get why the third matters. Monogamy used to be one person for life. Today, it's one person at a time, right? So by definition, on some level, monogamy at this point only exists in reality. It doesn't exist in your past and it doesn't exist in your fantasy. So the only place it is, is in your reality. And from there, there is for every person you choose the ones that you haven't chosen. And that's the third. The third can be in fantasy. The third can be shared in, in fantasy with your partner. And the third can be literally invited in. So now you ask, when does open relationships work? But that presupposes that the other thing is considered close. Imagine something different rather than this open, closed stuff, which really is getting very old. Monogamy is a continuum. It's not an either or. Dan Savage talks about monogamish, but I'd like to talk about it as a continuum. When you remember your exes, are you monogamous? When you fantasize about your exes while you play with yourself, are you monogamous? You haven't met my exes. There's no fantasizing about that. All right. You've got those that kind of give you disgust and those whose names you would like to forget. And then when you are with your partners or partner and you think about the, the person there earlier today and all of that, are you, you know, it's a whole sequence monogamy. And when does it work? When people actually know what they're doing, when they're mature and adult about it, and they don't just try to play adult, but they actually act like it. Beautiful. I, I think that brings me to say that you ha have been revolutionary for sex in terms of looking at it as a sexual freedom and a sexual right. And I, I wanted to say how beautiful your work is because of that. Um, but I know before you became, what? We have the same color. It's like we're the same. <laughs> like, that matters more than any deep conversation. Um, so <laughs> we have high and low, like women, we go high and low like that. That, that is true, that there is no one better to be, be both intellectual with in nine different languages. I can't tell you what my, lip, my color is, but I know that I can also talk to you about the nail polish. On a la même couleur. C'est le même, mais c'est voilà, la, la même chose. Petit peu différent, je crois. C'est d'avoir, maman, c'est d'avoir. Non, non. Moi, bon, voilà. Tu es un peu plus petit. clair que le mien. Non, parce que si tu viens, c'est un in case any of your clients need it. And a Jane Austen journal, which every woman needs, and some condoms, and a whole lot of gratitude. Yeah. You don't know how many samples I get. <laughs> Thank you so much. You guys, please give a round more to That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Esther. Thank you to Ian Mazoff for editing this together. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed our interview, please leave a nice review on iTunes. And if you are in the New York Triborough area, come to a live taping. They are so much fun. April 10th and March, April 10th and March 3rd, excuse me, April 10th and May 3rd are our upcoming episodes. And clearly I need to um, take a nap. Have a good one. I'm going to march myself to bed. Oh.